Welcome to Story Smack. This is episode 74 of Story Smack. Story Smack is a podcast about stories and storytellers in the world of pop culture. My name is A.B. Sigler. I'm an audiobook narrator and a founding partner at Empty Set Entertainment. And my name is Scott Sigler, number one New York Times bestselling novelist. And either we heal now, here together as a team, or we die as individuals. I love it so much. <laughs> and you guys normally know this is the moment where I introduce the heart of Empty Set and uh, our empty, uh, Story Smack and our yeah. Empty Set movie maven, Rob Otto. Rob Otto has a family obligation today. He cannot join us. He did send us lots of info about the script because he's yes. the one who makes Story Some Smack sing. So we're super grateful for movies, that. And movies. we're going to raise a glass. Scott, I'm right. drinking uh, Fresca, <laughs> but Scott is drinking a shark bite you have to turn it so that oh is it all it is probably all down at the bottom you see this this is a little bit of make sure you don't spill on your computer it's and, red uh, on the bottom if you guys can't tell that so you uh, make the shark i got the, a left is, shark and i got a thresher shark <laughs> you got an, an orange right shark, shark and a left and a right shark you got three sharks so in, the, in the bowl yeah but um shark bite is a rum drink it's very much like a hurricane um but you drizzle grenadine on the ice and then you stick um fake sharks in there, so yeah. it looks like sharks have bitten something in the water. So, uh, because of course, any given Sunday's team is the Miami Sharks, I made yes. a shark bite. The, it's it's very good. So we're raising Nocturnus. that glass to you, Robbie. Hello, we Shane. miss you. And uh, that's actually my, um, when I'm a bartender at rap events. Oh, ra- what? D-Rizzle. That's oh. my bartender name. D-Rizzle. <laughs> Put a little drizzle on that business. Wow. I'm uh, going to say, he hasn't actually started <laughs> that job yet, but I'll be excited. So, okay, Nocturnus, this drink, like, this drink is a drink you would have loved to have in college. It's so good. Very it's sweet. so easy Very drinking. Sweet. It's so, so Rattle sweet. Rattle out the recipe quick and we'll get into the rest uh, of this. It's just, it's dark rum, uh, light rum. Uh, sour mix, which is uh, sugar, water, lemon, and lime. And those juice. of you uh, listening at home after the fact, there are there are actual sharks <laughs> in my drink. Little plastic my, sharks in the drink. Because my girl is the best. I got plastic <laughs> sharks in this uh, electric blue drink. It's a yeah. very Miami type thing. It's great. This is one of those drinks that if you're on a boat in the summertime and it's balls hot. It'll this is a great up. drink. I'm sh- if yeah. you are at a party and you're 19 years old and you're in college, <laughs> this shit will fuck you up. But anyway, enjoy it. It's a pretty fun drink. And it's very blue. All right. So uh, we are here today, of course, talking about uh, stories and storytellers in the world of pop culture. As you know, this week we are talking about the 1999 release, Any Given Sunday. You guys, this hits on so many levels. So many levels. But before we begin about the how it hits and who's in it and who directed it, can you give us the movie guy? I love the movie guy. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Four years ago, a man, Tony D'Amato's Miami Sharks, were at the top. Now his team is struggling with three consecutive losses, sliding attendance, and aging heroes, particularly 39-year-old quarterback Jack Cap Rooney. Off the field, D'Amato is struggling with a failed marriage and estranged children and is on a collision course with Christina Pagni... Gosh darn it. Pagniacci? Don't I even put the pronunciation? <laughs> on a collision course with Christina Pagniacci, the young president co-owner of the Sharks organization. In a world where there's two more teams in Miami playing football. All right, let's go. <laughs> so you guys know this. Uh, we always forget to say this, but this time I remember. We're talking about Any Given Sunday. We are going to spoil the shit out it's, of Any Given Sunday. So if you haven't seen it since 1999 yeah, and that's you want to watch it... You have to turn That's this off you. until you're done. Baby, give me the financial breakdown of the movie. So, again, like I said, made in 1999, Any Given Sunday cost $55 million to make back in 1999, mm-hmm. which is uh, about $89.6 million in 2021 dollars. And it made $100.2 million at the box office. So it Pretty good. doubled its budget, and that is... Absolutely spectacular. Um, and I think the rule of thumb is you, you take the budget of the movie, 50% of that, you take the budget, then multiply that by 50%, and that is the amount of money that's spent on promotion. 
Yeah, and I'm not sure so, if that's in the budget. Uh, no, often, no, it's it's yeah, almost uh, never in the budget. Often they don't put the marketing budget, the post the post production budget yeah. in the in the details. But so even if it's even with a 25 million dollar promotion budget, still cleared 25 mil, which is uh, great. Oh, it's it's absolutely great, Hit. and you know it's also it's 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 a legendary movie. It's made by a legendary director. It, it we're going to talk about it. It stars so yeah. many people you've seen ten thousand so, times. So high level, baby. What yeah. is your uh, what is your favorite part of the movie? Okay, so for me. Oh, I, I'll never get over it. There's this beautiful moment in the sauna where Lawrence Taylor's, well, Lawrence Taylor's character is talking to um, uh, Jamie Foxx's character, Willie Beeman. And Willie Beeman, as you know, if you've seen this movie, he's like the young, brash quarterback who is literally delivering the goods. He was a third round draft pick. He was all this other stuff. And yet he shows up and brings it all home. And LT, there's a moment where LT's character, who literally knows this is his last season, knows he just needs to do these three things to make his bonuses and stuff like that. That's all he wants to do. He wants to rush a handful of yards. He wants to make a tackle. And he wants to get through the game without getting called out. And he has this beautiful speech. And there's a line in it. Um, and I, he says, when a man, because, of course, football is all men. But I, uh, it resonates with me as a human. And it's this. Um, he says, in that speech, he says, when a man looks back on his life, he should be proud of all of it. And LT goes on to talk about not just the time that you were on the grass and in the cleats, on the turf and in the cleats, like your whole life you should be able to be proud of. And that's a huge motivator. That's a huge thing about how we live our lives and mm -hmm. how Empty Set works. We want to make cool stuff for cool people. We want to look back and be pleased. We might screw up, but we want to be pleased. And I think that's what else he's saying there. And it moves me quite a bit. What about so, you? Of course. I know. My it's wife, great. My wife's doing this super high level philosophical quality of life analysis. My favorite part is Willie Beeman throwing up. That, I mean, but I, tell me more about that. <laughs> well, um, I uh, frequently when I would wrestle in high school and get super worked up, I would have to pee before matches. Mm -hmm. But I had sort of forgotten about that. Like, like I wrestled 125. 126. Six, yeah. So the 119 pounders would be out and I'm like, I could be on the mat in 10 seconds to be on the mat in two minutes. I would have to run to the bathroom and pee because I was just so amped up and so nervous. But when I was writing The Rookie, uh, book one of the GFL series, I, Krakens, what's up? I kind of forgot about that until I watched Any Given Sunday and watched Willie Beeman getting so nervous he would throw up before before he really could get into the game. Right, before and, he could let his, himself yeah. go and yep. kind of do the work. That was, those two things were the combined inspiration for Quentin Barnes. It's Quentin, it, Quentin has to pee before games, which right. we talk about a lot in the books. A lot, a lot, a lot, but also <laughs> when he's when he's trying to get to the game. Yeah, he's motion sickness. That, he's, the, it's um, a beautiful, beautiful way to add that in, both things, because they both mattered to you. The Willie Beeman part of throwing up, I thought, well, you know, people always... Nobody in space, in sci-fi, ever seemed to cover motion sickness. Mm -hmm. Like there's a lot of guy, a lot of people in general. You fly, you get motion sick. Uh, my my ex was motion sick from traveling. My wife and I, I was motion sick from traveling. I have to drive the car all the time. <laughs> it was constant. And you know, you think about flying spaceships and going into warp space and punch drive. People are going to barf. People are going to barf. So that movie helped inspire one of the one of the. It's one of the anchoring aspects of Quentin's character that he gets motion sick when the thing jumps in a punch because it makes him more real than if it hadn't happened. And you guys are probably like me. I honestly didn't didn't connect that Quentin when he's coming up out of punch space throws up. I, I never connected it to any given Sunday. And likewise, I never connected the second that uh, Quentin is in the pocket, he has to pee. Or mm -hmm. the Quentin, uh, not in the pocket, when he gets in the mine, in the zone, when he gets in the, you know, he has to pee. I never connected that either, but it's a beautiful little homage to yep. you as an athlete, as a younger athlete. And also, uh, I missed, I, I, well, uh, last thing I'll say about it. It used to make me so friggin' nervous. I'd be fine. I was like, team captain is all ripped up and buff. <laughs> oh, and were ready. you team captain? I didn't for, know for that wrestling? until today. Yeah, yeah. Ah. And, and ready to go into battle. And then right before the match, I'm like, what if I beat myself? <laughs> <laughs> all right. So we have, oops, we got to go. We have, nice to see uh, you. we have an enormous amount of characters to get through, enormous amount of actors. We're going to go through that so we can talk a little bit about the ascent of the black quarterback in the NFL and a lot oh, of the problems that happened before yeah. that and where things are at with it now. But first, we got to go through this incredible incredible cast and without rob otto here uh oh, the two of, of the two of us i am the movie person here i i watch many more genres and have been a, 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 and much more a student of the art 
nowhere near Robbie, but I'm going to do my best. So I will say from the get-go, this is absolutely an Oliver Stone joint. And that is not a thing that Oliver uh, Oliver Stone uses to call his movies. That is obviously the provenance of uh, Spike Lee, a Spike mm-hmm. Lee joint. And why I say that is that Spike Lee actually talks about the Spike Lee joint as being he is bringing not just his acumen as a screenwriter, a director, an actor, or whatever. He is bringing his entire self to the movie. That's why he calls it a Spike Lee joint. And I posit that this is an Oliver Stone joint. He's in it, and he's not always prominently in all of his movies, but this is him in, he's he's one of the broadcasters in Any Given Sunday, and he brings all of his actual, normal Oliver Stone things to this movie. He is very invested in the script. He's very invested in the characters. He's very invested in the process of them getting into it. He also literally has the star power to fill this entire movie with huge, powerful huge. people. So what he did is he uh, adapted a script from a John uh, a John Logan uh, script that was supposed to be a, a made-for-TV movie. He merged Logan's project with a football film uh, uh, called You're Okay. <clears throat> You're Okay, It's Just a Bruise. I'm sorry. You're Okay, It's Just a Bruise. Uh, that was a And that book. was a tell-all book yep. by Robin uh, Robert Hunzinga, mm-hmm. a former team physician on the LA Raiders. And you might see Dr. Ollie. Like, Dr. Ollie is a lot like this guy. And uh, in January 1999, uh, Stone held a training camp in Miami for the actors and the championship, uh, the actors and the athletes in the film. Alan Graff, a member of USC's 1972 championship team uh, and the film's second unit director, football coordinator and stunt coordinator, was in charge of that entire camp with Mm -hmm. Stone. Um, Graff filmed practices and then they reviewed the footage with the actors, which... Knowing you, I know, is a thing that you did every day. I never played football or never was around football, but apparently that is how you do everything, even in high school. You film absolutely everything, so you can review it and see it from a distance, have coaches go through it with you. But for this was critical because this isn't just some high school football movie. This is supposed to be a former championship team and a pro league uh, adjacent to the NFL. NFL, So everything had to look good. We'll get more into that as we go. Yeah, of course. So uh, this was the first Oliver Stone movie since uh, 1980. That Robert Richardson was not the cinema cinematographer, and this happens a lot in movie making, where you sort of appreciate their both combined talents. But in this movie, uh, he was uh, Robert was working with Martin Scorsese on bringing out the dead at the time. So Salvatore Totino got the job, and it, this was his first feature film. And Salvatore Totino goes on to be a, a DP for a lot of films, which is awesome. And then uh, Stone. would often ignore the call sheet, which I love. This is a moment in Oliver Stone's life where he is so powerful as a movie maker and has delivered the goods enough times that he's literally like, yeah, no, everybody's got to be on set and I might not, I might ignore the call sheet, which is insane in movie making. It's insane. It's so expensive. But what he wanted to do was keep everybody on their toes. So sometimes he would ignore it and call a different scene. Do 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 you know what that's parallel to in the movie? No. Do you think what? That's that's Willie Beeman not running yeah, the plays that no, are called. Exactly right. I never thought about that. That's so cool. <laughs> and the only other thing I'll say about Oliver Stone, other than if you're an American, if you're not an American, but you appreciate American cinema, watch Oliver Stone movies. But this one is super special because also he had so many opinions and he really wanted, at the beginning of this thought, he wanted Charles Bronson to be Tony Amato, D'Amato, which I can't even imagine how that would work, but I know it would be it awesome. Would have been, it would have been very, very different. So let's now talk about the star, the star of this movie, in my opinion. There's so many stars, but the star is, <laughs> is, is Jamie Foxx, who just, go. <laughs> just crushed this role the, the two people that stood out the most in this movie to me were Jamie Foxx and Lauren Holly. What a very, very small part, but oh my God, she brought the heat. Absolutely. But Jamie Foxx, uh, he has won an Oscar for 2005's movie Ray. He's Which best, is after best this. Act, well, well after this. But at the time he's cast as Willie Beeman, he's producing and starring in the Jamie Foxx show on the WB. He was 33 when I shot this movie. And he does not look 33. He looks very much the 27, 26-year-old that Willie Beeman was supposed to be. And Willie Beeman... He said third round draft pick early. He's a seventh round pick. And we're going to talk a little bit more about what happens to uh, what in the, in the past, what happened to black quarterbacks from smaller D1 schools yeah, who sure. would tear it up on the field 
And then when they make it the NFL, they would be tried to be forced into a different position because they're extremely fast and extremely athletic and supposedly right. didn't have and the mental acumen to run a football team, which we now know is a bunch of crap. But yeah. it was a big problem back then. So, yes. Hey, the thing you just said about Jamie Foxx is so so amazing to me. He was running an entire TV show. Mm-hmm. He was the executive producer, oh. literally in the name, He's the star, and and a, an AD. He wasn't the whole director because he had a showrunner. Mm-hmm. But he was doing that live for five seasons. It was in the middle of that five seasons when he did this movie. <laughs> what an amazing, amazing and, actor. And the whole time he's recording music. He's put out four albums. He's gra- he's won a Grammy for his work. He's had albums, four albums charting the top 10 in the U.S. Billboard 200. This is a multi, multi-talented guy. Yeah. And on top of all of that stuff, the acting, the producing, the music recording, he is clearly a talented athlete. You watch him on the field. Oh, for sure. He sells yeah. everything. Of course, if Oliver Stone is shooting it. Uh, even I would look like a pro caliber player. Oh, shit, Jamie even Fox, I, well, I, well, okay, would look, I would look good. Maybe a would, solid lineman. Yeah, I would. I would. <laughs> <laughs> but Jamie was amazing and um, loved his performance in this. Really, I felt really captured a so lot of frustration. This is the moment he won an Oscar for Ray. Yeah, for Ray. Uh, for for uh, his performance of Ray Charles. But his performance really captured the frustration a lot of young uh, young athletes have when they jump to the pros and are forced to do something out of their skill set, something they have not trained for their but whole we've life. We've talked about this a ton. We've seen this happen, like literally watching uh, watching football games. We saw it when we went to Arizona and we watched young players kind of walk out on the field mm-hmm. and for the first time be in an NFL thing. And you talked about it the whole time, like. Oh, that poor young man. Yeah, it's very difficult, very difficult. But a great story from the film, LL Cool J reportedly actually punched Jamie Foxx in the face for one scene. Foxx reportedly filed assault charges. Nothing came of it, and the two are friends today. The best part... The best part is uh, Stone got pissed that the oh, crew God, stopped God. shooting to break up the fight. Yeah, that sounds totally. Oliver like Stone, Stone is such a savage. He's he would have rather had missing the art. He would have rather had two <laughs> Grammy Award-winning A-list actors beating the crap out of each other in the set so he could capture a few extra seconds of film. Yeah. That's uh, and I gotta that's, mention that's, it. That's a lot, man. That's I a lot. I have to mention it. Jamie Foxx is one one award away from the EGOT, and if you don't know that, that's an Emmy, an Oscar, a Grammy, and a Tony. Yep. And he doesn't have a Tony because, of course, this is not his world. But here's the thing: I think he could get there. He could get We're going to talk about another EGOT later. Here we go. And now moving on to another guy who who kind of subtly stole the show. I thought Randy yeah. Quaid's performance. Or Dennis uh, Quaid. Dennis Quaid. <laughs> Very different people. Very different people. Dennis Quaid's performance was great. Yeah, absolutely. And Dennis Quaid goes into this entire movie knowing he's the also-ran, knowing he's the old guy, knowing, and still making that powerful and human and important. And this is a perfect scene. This is actually... He's literally saying, please don't make me do this, coach. Please don't make me do this. I I can't. I might die. I can't. (laughs) But he's not saying those words because those words would put his coach in an impossible position. He actually does. He does say. Like that's well, no, that's not that scene. That's when he's at home. That scene is so tragic. The the first one, we'll go back to it. It's terrible. Because he's he's telling his coach, this is a guy who's won a Super Bowl, Mm -hmm. and he's telling his coach, I heard all the time, and sometimes sometimes I just shake. And that Mm -hmm. line just kills me because I've in my limited limited athletic career I've given up on um, combat sports boxing and and MMA because I've had two pretty significant injuries yeah and I don't I don't want to feel that pain anymore and what's crazy about that is I have never played a contact sport in my life because I have congenitally bad kidneys and I feel that because a couple of years ago I woke up with a frozen shoulder which is an actual thing you should google it but it's crazy all of a sudden I can't do my normal things which is not running the 40 yard dash in a certain amount of seconds or completing enough it's literally nothing sports like it's making dinner like so many things so to think at 39 years old this character cap is 39 years old and he's literally saying i'll do anything for my team including including die but i don't want to die and tony amato kind of ignores him tony amato needs him terrible this Tony is beautiful needs this is actually this discussion where he's saying like i'll do anything i shake all the time look but how, i'll be look, there for the team look how ripped up quaid got for this that's mm-hmm. a that looks he he looked like a pro quarterback through and through and, and in this great. particular scene tony amato says 
I knew you'd be there for me. Like yep. he, all he does is say yes. What I love about Tony, this t- Tony's is a this... shit heel. In this entire movie, Tony Amato is a shit heel. Okay, but cool. This particular photo, this uh, uh, Cap Rooney's house is actually Dan Marino of the Miami Dolphins, his <laughs> actual awesome. home, which is where they shot this this uh, scene. So this is a. Uh, him uh, probably around the time that that came out or a little bit older. No, I think this is, this is more closer to today, isn't it? Yeah, and of course you guys know uh, he has had so, 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 so many wins. He was in Breaking Away in 1979. That was his great debut. Movie. Great movie. Uh, he was in The Right Stuff. He was in The Big Easy. The Big Easy. What a great, terrible movie. <laughs> I mean, it's a pretty good movie, but it's got a lot of flaws, but it's beautiful. Uh, Inner Space, Loved which was it. super fun. Great Balls of Fire, Loved which should it. have been Loved nominated it. for. So great. Uh, and Dragonheart, of course, in 1996. He has been called more than once one of the best actors never to have received an Academy Award nomination. And I couldn't endorse it, that more. He should have gotten nominated for Great just, Balls of Fire. He just he was so perfect in this role for Any Given Sunday. Yeah. Just a sweethearted guy who happens to be really talented, great leader, leads by example, plays through pain, does anything his team wants, and he just doesn't want to do it anymore. And he, and, does he it anyways. and he never shits on his teammates. Never. No, never, never, never. It, it, even though he could. Like, that would get people to listen to him if he was like, yeah, I'm not going to do it because Willie's just going to ruin it. Yeah. He, he might have gotten hurt, hey. but it wouldn't have done the thing. In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Jen Sherwood in the house, coming in and say hello. Hey, right in time Jen to Sherwood. talk about nice to see you. the villain of the movie. Now, many people think this is the lead <laughs> protagonist. I disagree. This guy has disagree. no morals whatsoever. And he has an Iago, which we'll talk about in a minute. Okay. G- g- Okay, that's right. Uh, oh, he does. He does. Okay. So we're going to talk about, of course, Al Pacino. He has been acting since the 60s, career spanning five decades. He's received more awards than we can count. Academy Award, two Tonys, a primetime Emmy. He's one of the few performers to receive the triple crown of acting. He's also triple, yeah, triple crown of acting. Mm-hmm. He's also been honored with the AFI Lifetime Achievement Award, the Cecil B. DeMille Award, and the National Medal of Friggin' Arts. Pretty good. Al Pacino was at Denver Broncos training camp in 1998, observing head coach Mike Shanahan, Super Bowl winning coach with the Mm -hmm. Broncos. So we got to watch how a lot of this stuff is done. But if you guys have watched this movie recently, or if you ever go back and watch it, it is Oliver Stone does some master work in portraying this guy as the sympathetic protagonist, and he just uses everyone. He goes yep. back on his word, left yep. and right, and, and all, including himself, including himself, his family, his <laughs> friends. He screws over Quaid. He's going to screw over Jamie Foxx at mm-hmm. some point, and uh, it's it, it, it's a really great performance. There are two things that I I am so impressed with. I mean, obviously, if you're not impressed with Pacino, you are fronting. You are fronting in a troll. There is something you're you can find. A troll. You 
can find something in Pacino's career that you love. I swear that's true. And if you don't like anything about him, you are fronting. That said, there's two things in this movie which I find so powerful. One is he is one of the only point of view characters where Oliver Stone gets like this in this particular photo or this particular photo you see here. This one? Uh, no, the one, one that we were just, yeah, that. Uh, often in movies, you know, the, uh, Pacino started as a stage actor. Several several actors in this movie did. <clears throat> But he started as a stage actor, and this is a thing that happens very often in camera work that doesn't happen in stage acting, where he is right up close to him, and what what Pacino's doing is acting literally with his face. It's a very yeah. uncommon thing. Stone doesn't do it with a lot of players or a lot of actors in this movie, but he does it with Pacino because it works. And the other thing about this is Pacino or I'm sorry, a D'Amato literally sells out himself. Mm-hmm. He doesn't know what he wants. All he wants is the win. All he wants is to be relevant once he's dead. And he does that without even knowing it in this movie. He doesn't care. He sells out his friend Cap. He sells out his newest, strongest play. Like, he sells out himself. It's so amazing. And you watch that whole time. And I, I, I... It's so interesting because I watched that. Uh, we have, you know, this is a game of minutes speech, which we'll talk about in a minute, mm-hmm. and was totally moved after I watched him totally sell everybody out, including himself, for two hours. And now we move on to, <laughs> oh, well, let's go to here. <clears throat> Sorry, guys. Go to here. Uh, oh, that's him winning. Yeah, that, that, that is him winning his Oscar for Scent of a Woman, which I needed to include because it's so powerful. this place. <laughs> and now we get to Cameron Diaz, who I thought, uh, I think if, if you want to know what Oliver Stone's real talent is, there mm-hmm. are no bad performances in this movie. Everybody's good. Mm-hmm. E- everybody is uh, Lawrence Taylor, who is a football player, not a trained actor, it's has one part. of the most... Yeah. One of the best performances I've ever seen someone portraying an athlete to make, someone who really communicates what it's like to to break a bone and go out and play anyways. What it's like to cut off your own finger to stay on the field. That's all Oliver Stone and Cameron Diaz's performance. And she, of course, she's a rock star to start with, but she killed him. Yeah, and don't move from this this photo for a moment because Cameron Diaz, of course, comes into this movie. She plays Christina Pagniacci. uh, Christina Pagniacci is the daughter and now the president and co-owner of the Miami Sharks. Her father was the president, CEO, and co-owner of the Sharks before he died, which was before this movie started. And now she's in her, obviously in her late 20s, trying to be this person. She's an MBA in business. This is a scene where she meets uh, Willie Beeman for the first time and the first thing he says also naked from the pants down or from the <laughs> belly button down <clears throat> first thing he says is hey you know if you're ever interested I'd like to take you out and she spends this entire time looking directly at his face <laughs> and saying you know I make it a deal I make it a thing not to date players now what's beautiful for me about this performance is Oliver Stone is absolutely this guy that you said he is he's a guy who never never lets a bad performance in his movies mm-hmm. No matter who, but also he never makes it hard for the actors to be really ruthlessly themselves. And Christina Pagniacci is a very young, very beautiful woman in woman in a very cutthroat job, mm-hmm. in a very cutthroat league, in a very cutthroat industry. And there is never, not one time in this movie, is there, you look cute in that. Oh, didn't you want to put the tits on display? There is nothing. Oliver Stone makes her hateable. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely without making her, right. her she... like a young, beautiful woman. And I find that so powerful. Like he makes her exactly like her mama, exactly like all the owners mm-hmm. without relying on the easy method. And I find that Which super is easy powerful. to do with her. And this is obviously yeah, Cameron she's, Diaz in her She's a her gorgeous human life. being. She has retired from acting, which I also respect a lot, because she decided that she could either act or she could have a life. And so she, this is actually her in her afterlife, in, nice. her, in her non-acting life. And I'm just, I'm super excited because he did such a good job with her and made her ruthless and uh, cutthroat mm-hmm. without making her... Uh, kind of bitchy. Right, right. Uh, let's move on to maybe uh, James Wood. Sorry. Oh, okay, of course. And then uh, Chris, <laughs> Cameron Diaz in the mask, Charlie's Angels, bad teacher. Yeah, I was going to cut that because I, I, oh yeah, I forgot I put I, this photo her, in there. We got to put this photo I, in there. Yeah, I'm so I, sorry. I've never loved an actor or actress more than this moment to know and that this, she goes out and sells this role 
with the jizz pompadour is just as like that she is read a the cool... script with the jizz pompadour <laughs> she fought for the part with the jizz pompadour and then she so did it great. and look at her face she's not like no don't mention it don't mention it she's literally like Baby, she's acting her ass off what do you need there's nothing wrong Oops. And it's now we so great. move on to James Woods. James Woods has he had acted in sixty seven plays for achieving his Broadway debut in sixty six, has gone on to be nominated for two Academy Awards, one Best Actor for Salvador, the other in Best Supporting Actor for the Ghosts of Mississippi. He is the recipient of two Primetime Emmy Awards as well. His character in Any Given Sunday was characterized as an unscrupulous team doctor who often looked the other way. Probably very similar to the source material that this came from. Dr. Harvey Mandrake was James Woods at his slimiest, and James Woods, very good at playing slimy dude. So good. So can you go back one? I love this shot, too, because, again, obviously, Cameron Diaz looks great. We don't talk about that. Mm -hmm. Also, James Woods looks a little less great than he could with the, you know, all the things. And we don't talk about that either, which I love. Also, Mandrake will kill you. <laughs> I didn't Mandrake know that. will kill you. Mandrake the Doctor plant. Mandrake walking Ignore poison. Ignore what you know from Harry Potter. Mandrake will kill you. Walking poison with a clip-on next to on his belt and a fanny pack. So right. you know, don't leave it to Oliver Stone to not tell you exactly what you would think. But he named him Harvey Mandrake. Mandrake though does have a Pantheon cup <laughs> ring for doing his job, so he he's doing okay. We move on to we only have one picture of this young man. Yeah, he's I very know. accomplished too. I know, but Ollie, you know, this is Doctor Ollie Powers, and he works for Mandrake. He's one of the other team physicians and he's the one who's sort of saying like we're killing these people just for ratings he doesn't say it exactly that way but he does uh, reveal to Al Pacino that uh, one of his players was cleared to play erroneously and um, Al Pacino has a moment where he can be completely righteous because that information was kept from him and he does that thing he's like get off my field you're all out of order he doesn't actually say that <laughs> and he and he kicks Harvey Mandrake off the team or off the the crew, and it's a beautiful moment because it's so stinking hypocritical of uh, Tony D'Amato to do that. He knows that Mandrake has been making it okay for them to play yeah. with Christina Pagniacci's uh, agreement, and that one moment where he gets to look at Matthew Modine and be righteous, he does it because that works for his players. Yeah, You know what I mean? It kind of works for his players and it works for the media and all that stuff. So it's sort of interesting. Matthew Modine, as you guys know, has been in one million things. We've reviewed uh, Vision Quest, which if you haven't seen with Loudon in it, you should see. Yeah, there's so Can't many hold things. your mud, Loudon. Yeah, he is. Uh, so Ali Powers, obviously, this is the only photo we have of him from the movie. He is a physician with a heart of gold who is caught between his oath to do no harm and the player's definition of harm. And we see that with a conversation with LT where LT is like, dude, harm for me is not being able to provide for my family. I have one hundred and twenty six thousand dollars I can get if I just. Oh, it's a million. Gets, is it one point six million? If he, if he meets his bonus, he gets a million dollars. OK, so yeah, yeah, which is literally one more tackle. And you see this moment where Ollie Powers, Matthew Modine playing Ollie Powers, actually sees yeah. that, har- that harm that's hard to two, assess. Two phases of this really capture a lot of things that go on in the NFL. The people willing to sacrifice themselves and people happily looking the other way if they can have their top player. And then you watch the gradual corruption hinted at of Ollie's character, who starts out being the heart of gold guy. And then gradually like, well, if I just fudge this, this guy can play. And it, it, it's a gray area. Do you yeah, let the guy play so he can make a million dollars for his family? Or do you not let him play so he doesn't die on the field? And it's, you make a terrific point because it's a corruption. It absolutely is a corruption, mm-hmm. but it's a very graceful one. He's like, I mean, he doesn't care if he dies if his family is taken care Correct. of. But my job He's is to do no harm. Yeah. And so those two things don't match up. And if I let LT out there, he might die. And in fact, he doesn't fare well. But it's an interesting he thing because I think, we, I think we all face a moment like that in our professional careers or whatever when we realize that the thing we thought existed doesn't exactly exist. And he does that really yeah. well. So I wanted to recognize that. Now moving on to uh, so, some of the super cool elements of this movie is getting actual players and legends. We're not going to talk about Mike Ditka, but he's in it. There's a lot of other oh, NFL guys who are in it. But and as right, coaches too, right? They have, usually you have them as coaches. But we've got Lawrence Taylor on the left, Jim Brown on the right, arguably the greatest defensive lineman to ever play the game on the left, and universally accepted by everyone who actually knows football, the greatest running back of all time on the right, better than Emmett, better than Barry Sanders, when Jim Brown in his brief career with the Browns was 
was unstoppable. He broke the mold, and to this day, he is the most dominant running back. And and I think if you don't even know football, you know him as a good dude. He he seems like a good dude. He got out he got out of the game a little bit early. He went into acting. He did Mars Attacks. He's been in The Running Man. He <laughs> Mars Attacks. Mars Attacks. <laughs> One of the breakout roles for him, of course, was he was in The Dirty Dozen. Um, really, really great to get him into the movie. And he had a great scene where he got to sit down and talk with Al Pacino about how of course, now you guys, it's hard to have sympathy for NFL players now. An NFL player who's had a five-year career should have at least a million dollars in the bank unless they're just being idiots with their money. And for workaday people, that's hard to appreciate. But back when Jim Brown played, there weren't million-dollar salaries. The, the people who got that kind of money were very few and far between. Mm-hmm. And most, most people didn't even make enough money to pay their health care bills long-term. So he gets to talk about that. And then the left, Lawrence Taylor... Uh, a man with a stellar Hall of Fame football career and also very troubled personal life. But Lawrence Taylor getting to have that sauna scene and getting to talk about, you know, just getting to talk about how how difficult it is to be. This is a blood sport. If you are playing professional football or college football at any level, it is a blood sport. You are going to get hurt. You're going to have to play through the injury. And at some point, you are going to have to weigh the odds of your future health Mm-hmm. against your current career. I got out of wrestling in college because both of my knees were swollen up like the size of volleyballs. They were gross. And I was like, this is going to impact me when I'm older. And I, I got but out when I was a even, sophomore. Even since I've known you, you've attempted to get back into BJJ or boxing or whatever and made that same assessment. Yeah. Like, okay, uh, I have other things I want to do with these knees yeah. or elbows or wrists or whatever and had to make that hard decision. I, I consider if I wake up in the morning <laughs> and nothing hurts, I'm delighted this is going to be a great day because almost every day you wake up and something hurts. And that's a lot of us just getting old. Everybody gets old, things hurt. Sure. But these guys, the all the guys, anybody who's played at least three years in the NFL, their life is constant pain to a large degree. It's it's yeah, kind of nuts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Nocturna said he loved Quaid in Pandorum, which was yeah. underappreciated as a well, film. And absolutely. I think that could have been such a, a better movie. It could have been such a better movie. I do think it was underappreciated as a film for what it was. I think if it had had the right budget and yep. the right crew, it would, or, you know, director, DP, all that, it would have met the script how it should have met the script could have been good that's what i think uh related to the players the nfl refused to help with the movie discouraged players from trying to be in it they even filed a lawsuit which helped delay production by eight months and almost every non-actor on the field has been paid to play football at one time or another in the nfl arena league usfl or canadian football and i think that added to that added to the legitimacy and you know uh, here's the thing i'll say that is unrelated but still true. Uh, We got to watch the San Diego fleet as long as they existed in 2018 and 2019 in San Diego, and they were an AFL team. And now the AFL is sort of not a thing. AAFL. AAFL, sorry. And it's interesting to watch the difference on the field between college football, AAFL, and NFL. And to sort of see that every player on that field was literally showed up to play. Because in all the differences aside, the fundamentals are all still the same. So they showed up from the CFL. They showed up from the XFL. They showed up from the NFL. And they were ready to, ready to work. And that means getting hurt and getting hit yep. pretty much every time. Every and time. they were like, yes, please, let's do this. You know, and I love that. I love that uh, dedication. Terrell Owens was also in it. We saw him catch two <laughs> touchdown passes, although he wasn't a, uh, a face. He didn't have any actual dialogue. But let's go over it now. The, oops, I've got to come back here and do this. The, oh, the amount of star power in this, we have to rush through this. We have to rush through this pretty quick. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. We got sure. Anne Margaret, two Anne, Academy this, Awards. Yeah. Oh, go ahead, babe. This is Anne Margaret, of course, two Academy Awards, made a bunch of movies with Elvis, is absolutely a rock star of acting, and she literally plays a minor character. There's another. Uh, well, this is Lauren Holly. That's Lauren Holly. We she's, don't have a lot of. Uh, well, she is actually a small actor too. But at this oh, point, she, she has earned out from TV. She has earned out from movies. She is a rock star in the in 1999. She is a, at the top of her game, oh, doing just, great work. Just you just hated and her, and she chooses hated she her. Chooses the role where you hate her. Her scene where she slaps <gasps> Dennis Quaid in the face. It's terrible, and you I can't. Hate, I almost oh. can't watch it. It's just like you watch Dennis. You watch Dennis Quaid. Both of these two at the top of their game. You watch her completely dominate that scene, and you watch Super Bowl winning MVP Dennis Quaid crumble. It's Question. fantastic work. Yes. Did she do that for him or for her? 
The act, the character, not the actor. The, the character, she, she did everything for herself. She was doing that for. You she, think so? th- she was telling herself it was for him, but she has a guy who has. You look at their house. You look at their money. Every, and he rattles it off. He's like, "I provided for our kids. College is paid for. Our home is paid for. We're set for retirement." And she, it's not about the money. She it's can't give the up status. the lifestyle. She can't give up the status. I agree. What's interesting is, uh, spoiler alert: this is how this ends up. He survives that game and does fine with no lasting effects. Mm-hmm. So I agree with you 100%. She's doing that from a selfish place. Very, very selfish. But she thinks she's doing it for him. Right. And and at the end of the day, she did it for him because he retires on top. He literally retires winning that game. He's not going to play in the in the playoffs or in the finals. Sorry. Mm-hmm. He goes out on top. He goes out like a warrior. Yeah, he does. But I think she did it for her. Uh, I, to me, she did. We also have in this movie, we have Aaron Eckhart, who was very much on the up when this came out. Yeah, absolutely. And has gone on to be bigger things and Two-Face and everything else. And, yeah, oh, um, yes. Two-Face, I forgot about that. Thank yeah. you for smoking. He's done great work. Exactly. He's done great work. But at this point, he's just breaking out of Hi, Indies. Yep. And uh, and absolutely, Oliver Stone is like, Aww. oh, yes, you I would like. Please be a minor character <laughs> in my show. And he ends up with the head coaching job of the Miami. Miami it's Sharks great. at the end of this movie, and it's a total non-moment. Yeah, he it's got he got his thunder stolen. Which, yeah, Al, Al, which Al Pacino's is, character knew it was coming. They saw it. Everybody saw it was coming. It, which is it's how exactly this how movie goes, right? Look up, like, look up Dallas still, Cowboys couching history. Exactly that's, that's right. Like there's history. this moment in. <laughs> I don't think it's just for football. It's in every single industry. Which is, oh, you won, but it's not going to feel good. So yeah. you can either win. Or you can feel good and get fired by saying, you and don't deserve that. The star ever. power continues, of course. Whoops. I keep I have to figure out how to fix this. Oh, you added. Oh, I didn't see you added. Sorry. And then we've got Charlton Heston, for crying out loud. My goodness. Playing a tiny, tiny part. But Heston won one Oscar. Was nominated for many words. So in just the bit characters alone, there's three Oscar wins Seven Oscar nominations mm. and just the four people we've gone over right there. It's it's absolutely incredible. And then there's hey, so Allie, much to cover. Good. We got to get into this group. Uh, LL Cool J, Bill Bellamy, John C. McGinley, th- three three great people. LL Cool J's first acting part was in what? Did you know this? Uh Wildcats. His first role was in a football oh, movie with Goldie know. Hawn, also known as the Ted Lasso of 1986. Same movie. Also, one of two Patino's two Oscar nominations was in an Oliver Stone movie in 1986. It's a, it's a lot of stuff going on. And then we've got Bill Bellamy. Oh, I love that who photo. Was in a, Come on. Bill Bellamy has, out of all these people, in my opinion, the single biggest claim to fame of anyone in this movie. And Wait, that's, that's saying something. <laughs> Bill Bellamy. Of course, number one, successful stand-up comedian, very funny guy, happens to be a cousin of Shaquille O'Neal. Bill Bellamy is credited with lock, stock, and barrel, no, no argument. He invented the phrase booty call. Bill Bellamy, oh, shit, dogs. Bill Bellamy I'm invented, about to agree with Scott. invented the phrase booty call. He developed it in one of his stand-ups, and that now has become institutionalized as a part of the English language. Congratulations, Mr. I Bellamy. I must apologize ahead of time <laughs> and say, you said Bill Bellamy, the star of all of this, and I was like, oh, honey. And I was about to be like, oh, say your thing, and meh. And then you did that. And I can't argue. And then finally, one of my favorite actors. Oh, there's more LL Cool J. There's LL Cool J. Oh, look at him at the awesome. Kennedy Center Honors. Yeah. What? LL what? Cool J has been nominated for nine Grammys, one, two, has been a now successful TV star for 20 years. Just a beast of the industry. But ladies and gentlemen, well, there's Bill Bellamy. And of course, the biggest uh. asshole in the world. <laughs> if you need, you know what I need? I need an absolute asshole that everybody wants to punch in the mouth. Get McGinley on the phone. McGinley can come in here and knock that out. He was incredible in this. Platoon, Office Space, Scrubs. Just uh, he He's made a career out of being a douche. It's incredible. Here's what I think. John, May- John C. McKinley said this. Mm. I'm going to have this red hair the whole time. And people only like red hair on women. Like, people only crave red hair on women. <laughs> red hair on dudes seems shitty. Have you met Ron Weasley? Look at that, okay. Look at that goatee, though. Bright red goatee. But he does this great. his entire career. He does it in Scrubs. He does oh, it God, his so entire career. He's like, fuck it, you guys. I'm angular and redheaded, and I'm about to rock your world. And his, it's great. His part of Jack Rose is based on Jim Rome, who has made a lot of money being an obnoxious guy, <clears throat> who famously got smacked on a show by Rams quarterback Jim Everett. And uh, 
I've seen that clip. If you haven't seen that clip, that dude deserved to be punched in the mouth. You're talking stop. about Rose, right? Yeah. Ro- yeah. Ro- <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> I'm him. talking about Rome and Rose both. Rose, Rome was trying to get a reaction out of Everett. No, he got one. All right. So now we go back. Now we got to talk about this real quick. Let's go. We're going to talk about, go back to Maine. We're going to talk. We only have, we got 15 minutes left. We this is good. We have plenty of time. Plenty of time. Um, this movie came out in 1999. And while there had been very successful black quarterbacks in the league, this is pre the ascent of, oh, that that is a black quarterback playing yeah, at sure. playing at Clemson, playing at Alabama, playing at Michigan. Like that could be a first round pick. Absolutely. Now yeah. it's now it's it's a non brainer. Back then, this was not the case. The contemporaries for Willie Beeman were Rodney Pete, running quarterback. Warren Moon started out as running quarterback, but got beat up. Not so much. Cordell Stewart. For the Steelers, Charlie Batch is uh, Charlie Batch, who played for the Steelers and the Lions, the perfect example for Willie Beeman. Charlie Batch came in, was a backup quarterback, got a chance to start, and he could run like nobody's business. He was a smart runner, scramble for yards, always get a first down, always slide and not take contact. I remember being a Lions fan and watching, and they forced him to stay in the pocket all the time, and he got lit up by staying in the pocket. Like, you could see a space open. Charlie Batch's instincts were like, I'm going to go run and get a first down, move the chains. But they made him stand. They made him stand in the pocket, and he just got he just got obliterated, and it ruined what could have been a fantastic career. And I know you've got more to talk about, but yep. I want to say, as a person who didn't, uh, appreciate football until quite a lot later. And so for me, um, Warren Moon or uh, also absolutely not so much Charlie Batch. I don't know a lot about that. But for me, also Donovan McNabb. Yep. Those are people that I can look back on in my non-fan history because my brother and stepdad were big, big fans uh, and be like, oh, yeah, no, they were, you know, they were kind of sort of lit up and and pawns, sort of. And what's interesting about that is your next guy kind of, kind of, I think, changes a lot of things. Donovan McNabb changed a lot. Uh, Don McNabb, uh, four Super Bowl. I, he, he, he just Hall of Fame, incredible career, but big, strong, fast, can run, can throw, brilliant on the field. Mm-hmm. He brought everything to the table. So the guys I'm mentioning now were guys who kind of broke the mold. You know, there was resistance when they started Donovan McNabb, when they started um, Warren Moon, and those guys proved themselves on the field. And of course, we get to Dante Culpepper. That's the one. Who at 280 pounds looked like a tight end. That is the physical prototype which Quentin Barnes of the GFL series in The Rookie is based on on Dante Culpepper. Because when Dante Culpepper stepped on the field, he looked like a lineman. He looked like a large tight end. He did not look like a quarterback. And he had a brilliant 10-year career playing primarily for the Vikings. And um, a lot of people think of Willie Beeman. They think of Michael Vick. Mm-hmm. Willie Beeman predated Michael Vick in the pros by one year. And the the reason I'm so fond of this movie is because Oliver Stone and Jamie Foxx tackle, they, they, they tackle a lot of things, the unspoken stuff at the time. Um, Willie Beeman comes in the league, and he's from Southern Methodist, I think, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, not a top-ranked program at the time, very successful, but he comes in, and they force him to switch to the one play receiver, the one play slot receiver, yep. because he's fast, he's got great and hands. And that's what they know. And the catchphrase, you know, he's very athletic, which is one of the... It's not so much anymore, but back then that was one of the phrases that might be applied to, well, they, he's, a, he's a great athletic guy, but he's black. He can't run a football team. Which and they, never, was, they only say he's there, athletic. They would say he's very athletic. And do so, you have any idea about this? And I know we've talked on this cast before about your pops and his experience playing football. But are there any um, moments where, you know, he's very athletic is a thing said about Black players, but not said about that, other players. That's a that's a wag that's still in sports media to some rego- to some extent. If you if you listen to more some of the more outspoken black uh, sports journalists, they will say that still pops up quite a bit. I don't see it as much anymore because now you've got a lot of white guys doing the same thing at quarterback, which mm-hmm. is when there's a scramble, they are they are gone. They take off and they're powerful runners. So now it's not quite the same thing anymore. But. Um, even in the 90s, there were still thoughts in the league that a black quarterback couldn't be a championship quarterback. That is the basis for Quentin Barnes. Yeah. So a lot of Quentin Barnes and the rookie is, well, he's from the purest nation. He, you know, oh, great. He's big. He's fast. He's strong. But he doesn't have the mental horsepower to be able to have a championship team. So when Quentin comes in the league, he's very much a parallel to some of the odds that the top-level black quarterbacks were up against in franchises just wouldn't give them a chance to go out and be a field general. It wasn't that human being. It was the 
the, the false, general idea, the false the, idea of the stereotype. Uh, yeah, thank you. It was the stereotype. Yeah, the stereotype. Yeah. What's interesting about that is you see somebody like uh, Cam Newton today. Cam Newton today, off the field, and I'm specifically speaking off the field, is LL Cool J's character. <laughs> he is. He wants to be spectacular <laughs> and visible and showy on purpose. He still delivers on the field. Like, he does all those things, and I find it kind of interesting that uh, life imitates art in that way. And life, life imitates <laughs> art in this way, too. So now, at this point, there have been um, three black quarterbacks who have won a Super Bowl. Of course, the first one was Doug Williams in 1988 with the Washington football team, <clears throat> and which point uh, just shocked a lot, a lot of people. Doug Williams came in and just whooped it up at a great season. Russell Wilson in 2014. Patrick Mahomes in 2019. So only three at this point. But what's really interesting to me is now in 2020, the league set a record with 10 starting black quarterbacks. Again, we're paralleling this to Willie Beeman and the Miami Sharks. Out of all the teams, there are only 10 that were black starting quarterbacks, but they're all very, very, very talented, dominant guys. Cam Newton, of course, is a little has dropped down a little bit. Teddy Bridgewater's back on the ascent. Dwayne Haskins, Lamar Jackson is crushing it. Patrick Mahomes is crushing it. Kyler Murray should have a breakout year in 2021. Dak Prescott got the huge deal from Dallas. Tyrod Taylor, Deshaun Watson, we'll see what happens with him, and Russell Wilson, who's still uh, one of the biggest all-around threats in the entire game. That guy, that guy changes games instantly. So that's all. That that's it's very interesting that any given Sunday came out when it did, yeah. with the message it had, when it had that message, and now we see things have changed dramatically. I mean, like that was uh, thirty years ago, nineteen ninety nine. Yeah, it was nineteen ninety nine. So it's twenty so. years ago, right? Uh, well, ninety nine right? to two thousand, two thousand to ten. No, thirty. Thirty years, years ago. ago. So all of the quarterbacks we were talking about right there, I don't think any of them were born when any given Sunday came out. And what the beautiful <laughs> thing is, is so many things. So you're going to say, of course, football is always about you know, if you're a person who is not a football fan, the the argument is like there's Oops, it's it's just a game which is objectively true it is just a game nobody dies if you fail at the same time it is a ja- it, it is a game you chose for your career and that is the thing that supports your entire family and probably your extended family if you're talking about football it's generational wealth for some it's guys. generational wealth in a way that they couldn't have got it before football number two yeah, okay, you don't like football, that's okay. I don't like international espionage, but that's still a career. You can have a career. There can be good in careers that you don't appreciate. All these things, but so often because it's so available to you as a common, I'll call a layman or whatever, uh, I spent an enormous time of my life completely, like, football was irrelevant to me. And I am lucky because I never was like, ugh. Gosh, they're just playing a game or whatever. But uh, you you have this job, too. Whatever your job is, you are choosing to make that important. And that's what they're doing here. But they risk their bodies and their future and their lives in a way that I don't being a publisher. You know what I mean? (laughs) So it's still valid. And even the actors in this were risking themselves. Uh, Football, you can't it can't be faked. You can see a hit on the field. You can magnify it with editing tricks, but you still got to have that hit. The players or their stunt doubles were actually hitting and tackling and blocking. Stone put cameras where they had never been before. He put a face mask on a pogo cam and ran with it to show a running back's point of view. He put a doggy cam on a player's shoulder. Steady cam operators were sometimes trampled. So because you can't control when those big bodies hit each other at that force and that velocity, people fly and they hit the wrong guy. We were watching last night, and two referees two got referees over. <laughs> Poor guys. And there was uh, so so fast paced. Yeah. There are over three thousand editorial mm-hmm. cuts in the movie. Absolutely, yeah. So uh, the NFL was absolutely opposed to this movie. They not only uh, worked to uh, they had an injunction that tried to get them that they were trading on a trademark. It took eight months to resolve that they weren't trading on a trademark. So they actually filmed without the NFL's uh, cooperation, and they filmed therefore at Orange Bowl stadium in Miami that served as the Miami Sharks who are the professional football team that served as their home stadium uh, there's some great great cast notes here um, Sean Puffy Combs was originally cast as Willie Beeman but scheduling conflicts caused him to drop out however some, however, some say the football people started working with Combs and he was so bad at throwing that they had to replace him I find that to be a little bit more believable than Sean being like 
bro, I'm busy. I can't be in a, I can't be in an Oliver Stone. But I have something to say, (laughs) you guys, I have something to say. Puffy, Sean Combs is, oh my God, what is he like a quintuple threat like he's such a powerful businessman he he has changed so much about the industries that he's worked in i'm kind of glad i'm kind of glad I, I don't, he can't throw a football i don't think this I'm is the right fix there's something, <laughs> there's something wrong with him <laughs> there's something he can't do he can't throw football there's one thing the dude can't do chris tucker was offered the beam and roll but turned it down i do not think that would have been been successful and then Cuba Gooding Jr. auditioned for Beeman, but since he already played a football star in Jerry Maguire's Oliver in Jerry Maguire, Oliver Stone didn't want him. And it's I don't Cuba could have done it, but I think Jamie Foxx is the subdued rage mm-hmm. Jamie Foxx has in the conversations with Al Pacino on the field when Al Pacino's trying to tell him what to do, and Jamie Foxx just not making eye contact with him, like, yeah, boss, whatever you say. Well, he already knows what he's going to do. I think mm-hmm. that's that's. That's that uh, athlete attitude chip in the shoulder that Jamie Foxx captured extremely well. I think Cuba could have done it, but I'm not sure about the other guys. I completely agree with you. I completely agree with you. Obviously, we know Cuba Gooding Jr. can play a role as a football player who wants to win. I'm not sure that I think I could have seen Cuba Gooding Jr. as Willie Beeman having seen him already. And yeah. I know that's unfair, and I know that's on me, but probably, I still think that's true. He probably could, but every role we see him in, he's more sweet and lovable. Where Jamie Foxx just brought this, just this subtle, this subtle chip in the shoulder that was incredible. Yeah, they did also do this, uh, changing actors. They did uh, consider for a while having. Uh, Tony Amato have a sequel where he's at the Albuquerque Aztecs. Mm-hmm. Uh, that never came to fruition. I, it's they're very, very. It's super expensive to shoot football movie. Something I wish I had thought of when I spent so much <laughs> of my career writing the rookie is then when there is movie it's interest that people expensive. look one take one look at it and be like, oh, we can't afford this. That's a three hundred million dollar film. I'm like, gosh darn it! And the most important part of the movie, next to the fact that booty call was coined by one of the actors in this movie, very important. The word fuck is said over one hundred and ten times. The movie averages one fuck at least once every couple of minutes. Absolutely. So you guys, you know that we're big, big, big fans of football here in this house. We're big fans of movies here at Empty Set. And uh, any given Sunday is a terrific, terrific uh, meeting of the minds for both of those things. So this actually is the end of Story Smack number 74. We talked, obviously, about any given Sunday. And next... oh. Wait a minute. We got news for you guys. So we always do Story Smack on the second Saturday of every month. Next, the next second Saturday is September. And in September, I'm pretty sure we will be shipping the gangster, Scott's uh, GFL Book, book six 7. Uh, football six, football sorry. Yeah. Uh, to you guys. So we are not going to do a September, which would have been September 11th. We're not going to do that one. So we will be back instead on October 9th. That's the second Saturday on October. Rob Otto will be back with us and we will be talking about Ghostbusters, you guys, because there is a Ghostbusters sequel in or tweakquel or something in the offing. Yeah. And- yeah. Uh, apparently it's apparently now Ghostbusters is Stranger Things. There's no escaping it. Yeah. Uh, it's one of those strange things you're like, wow, the original movie was incredibly popular and one of the top 100 movies of all time made a ton of money. So let's do uh, let's do a sequel and make it completely different. Very. I'm not mad about it. He might be mad about it. But <laughs> we'll, we're going to find out. We'll see right. how it goes. Yeah, it's going to be really fun. All right. Uh, so until then, you guys, again, we are not here on the second Saturday of September uh, because we're going to be shipping uh, Scott Segler's The Gangster to you guys. So this is the end of episode 74 of Story Smack. You can find Scott and I online. Scott is at Scott Segler on Twitter and on Instagram. And his Facebook page is facebook.com forward slash Scott I am at a real girl on Twitter and at a dot real dot girl on Instagram. You can find us online at facebook.com slash story smack. Sometimes they update it. Not all the time. We live stream story smack every second Saturday of the month at facebook.com slash Scott Sigler, except for September. We'll be doing it in October. You can watch this. If you're listening to the podcast after the fact, you can see us at facebook.com slash Scott Sigler, twitch.tv slash Scott Sigler, and youtube.com slash Scott Sigler. In addition to story smack, every Wednesday, we do a live cast from 6 p.m. Pacific time to 7 p.m. Pacific time 
time. That is called Sigler in Place, and you can watch it wherever you're watching this now if you're watching it live. If you're not watching it live, you can go to Facebook.com slash Scott Sigler, Twitch.tv slash, slash Scott Sigler, or YouTube.com slash Scott Sigler. And we release an unabridged episode of a serialized novel of every week. One of my novels, Unabridged, you can get episodes for free every Sunday via iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and more. Just go to Scott Sigler dot com slash subscribe for the links and you guys the most important part here okay so scott has started a new show it's called monster of the week it's a half an hour it's on friday afternoons at 4 p.m pacific time on twitch on youtube on facebook i mentioned all those places before it's 30 minutes long he always has a guest this next guest i believe next week is uh dr phil plate Plate, the bad astronomer and they talk about a monster this week is the ants from them and it's so cool and you should check it out on Twitch or YouTube or Facebook. And so we hope you subscribe. (laughs) I'm the one who's supposed to talk there. So we do hope you subscribe so that you can get Scott's books and more Story Smack and more Monster of the Week and all sorts of goodness in the future. So until the next episode of Story Smack, we will talk to you all real soon. Five minutes. A transplant candidate dies while waiting for a compatible heart, liver, or kidney. Imagine a technology that could provide those life-saving transplant organs for a high price, and imagine what a company would do to monopolize that technology. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists unlocks this holy grail of medicine by reverse engineering the genomes of all mammals, creating an animal with organs perfectly suitable for human transplantation. They envisioned a docile herd animal, but one team member had another, darker vision. This ancestor is anything but docile. The team's work spawns something big, something evil, something very, very hungry. Ancestor is a complete serialized fiction podcast by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler with all episodes available. Binge the entire story now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.